Hey, welcome back to Let's Talk About God podcast. We are going on episode nine right now, which is crazy. Um, episode nine today, um, which is really, really exciting. Thank you once again for all the support. We were just looking at the numbers, and this is just awesome. I know we said that the last couple episodes, but it still blows our minds that anybody would want to listen to us, um, which is awesome. So thank you. Yeah, besides our wives and, yeah. our, and our mothers, you know, and our children, you know, people who would we would make listen to us. Well, I'm one of your children, so you, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> if nobody else will we'll listen to it, I listen. Yeah. I listen to it, and you listen to it. We'll have all of two listeners. Yeah, I've listened to it like a hundred times now to try and get our listens up. I'm just kidding. No, no, <laughs> not messing with the numbers right now. <laughs> I don't know if I could stand me that much either. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's been a whole lot of fun um, recording them. But before we get into it, how's it going? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm doing real good. Um, it's, you know, at this point, it's um, first of May when we're recording and it's starting to get hot. Yes. And the humidity is starting and that's part of living in the deep south. But the nights are still cool and you can still ride around with the windows down or the sunroof open. And I'm kind of enjoying it, trying to take it all in. The yep. fish are biting, so I'm happy, you know, because you, you guys have figured out by now I love to fish. We've talked about my boat and fishing enough, but it's it's what I love to do, and um, that's been a, that's been a lot of fun. But uh, how about you? Yeah, no, it's been going really good. I've been I'm enjoying the weather. I don't want to sweat, but at night it's nice. I go out there and just hang out with my dog. You like the humidity though? Oh, it's like a warm blanket at night. You're it's stra- just wraps you're, you're you just up. strange. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if you're my child. Something so, bad's happened though. I think our AC is like not working. Oh no. That's <laughs> and not it's good. getting hot. It's like it'll come on, but the it's like not strong enough to do anything. So Uh-oh. we already called the warranty people. Hopefully they'll be out here soon enough. What we really need is just an explosion and then just get a brand new one. Just get a brand new one. We, in the, we live in the deep south, so in Anderson, South Carolina, you, you've you got to have air conditioning to to survive. What I want to know is you're an old married man now. I mean, you got married back in October, so, I mean, how's it going? It's great. Yeah. All right. It's wonderful. Got a house. Have yeah. a dog. Yeah. I have a fence. It's not a white picket fence, but it's a fence. And you have to mow your grass now. I've got to mow my lawn now. I've done that. Yeah. So twice now. So yeah. that's pretty cool. So, so you're like, you're in the whole homeowner's world. Soon enough, I'm going to be planting my own grass and doing other dad stuff, even though I'm not a dad, you yeah. know, doing the whole thing, working on my car. Yeah. Like a whole jumpsuit on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. A little blue jumpsuit, little, yeah. little blue dickies, you know what they call them? Yeah. If that happens, call me over so I can take a picture. Yeah, deal. <laughs> yeah, we will post that on the internet. Only in your dreams. <laughs> I'm taking it too professional. Anyways, yeah. no, it's, it's been great. But, hey, why don't we go ahead and, uh, and get into it today. Um, today is kind of nice for both of us. We hope, um, if you're listening now, that you've um, listened to our past podcasts. And if you haven't, um, I mean, at least go take just a scroll through um, the past eight podcasts. And um, we've been going in on some deep topics. We've mm-hmm. been um, hitting some deep theology, which is what we wanted to do, which is the heart of the podcast. This is truth matters, theology matters. We're going we're gonna to go for it. Um, but with that being said, today is kind of nice for us um, because it's a little bit of a lighter topic doesn't mean it's not as important, um, but we're before we're kind of racking our brains and getting into some um, some deep stuff. Today is going to be able to come a little bit more natural because we're today we're talking about the importance of the Bible and practical tips on how do you read your Bible, how do you study the Bible, how do you go about studying the Bible. So I'm excited for today's episode. Yeah, me too, because the past episodes have been theology. Those episodes have consisted of theology. Today we're going to talk about how do you acquire your theology. Yeah. And that's by going to the source of our study of God, because theology is Theo's God, ology study, so it's a study of God. Mm -hmm. So uh, how, how do you learn about God? This Let's Talk About God podcast. You got to go to the source of the revelation we have which is his his divine word, and it's so important to read the Bible. Um, I was as we were preparing for this podcast, I spent a while just thinking about Evan about the importance of the Word of God. And if you ask the average believer or church member, and you say, "Okay, is the Bible important?" 
I mean, what do you think the answer is going to be? They're obviously going to say yes. Everybody's going to say yes. Because, I mean, I think it's just understood that, you know, preachers preach from it. You're expected to own one. You're, you're told to read it. Keep it on your nightstand. Keep it on your nightstand. Study it. Okay. So people know it's important. But do we really understand the value of the Word of God? Do we understand how um, that that you it's it's life it's it's what we have to have it's mm-hmm. it's like food to the human body and so uh as i was thinking about this i started thinking about scriptures that for me have been scriptures that kind of that you know everybody has scriptures that they know that they memorize or they're familiar with and i started thinking about some for me that were real familiar like there is a passage in john chapter 7 and you know the average person believer may know it may not but jesus was he was going. He was in deep theology, mm-hmm. and and so he was messing everybody up because he was talking about my flesh. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, he didn't. He didn't really mean that in a literal sense. Yeah. It was a spiritual sense, and a lot of that's seen in the symbolism of communion. And so people were just leaving him in droves, and and he finally just said, "Look, you guys aren't getting it." And it, and so he started to. But this is what he said. He said, "The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life." The words that I speak to you, their spirit and their life. He said, the flesh counts for nothing. You guys are getting all out in this physical state. You got to get in the spiritual. And so I thought about how the Bible is, it really is a source of life for us. When we got saved, we were dead to sin. We come alive in God. We have this new spiritual life. I mean, getting saved is not reformation. It's transformation. Yeah, you're a new creation. You're a new creation. It's from the inside out. You're a new person. There's new life. I'm alive spiritually where before I was dead. So how do you feed that new person, that new man? It's through the Word. And Jesus was saying the words that I speak. You know, the Bible's not dead. A lot of people you know, say, well, I don't understand the Bible. Or people who aren't saved will say, you know, the Bible just doesn't interest me. I've heard a lot. Why do we listen to a 2,000-year-old document like that has any relevance? Exactly. They kind of write it off. Exactly, and what they don't understand is this isn't this isn't Shakespeare, this isn't Homer's Iliad. This this is the Word of God. It's just we happen to have it in written form. Mm-hmm. But and so that's what Jesus was trying to say is when I speak, it has life. When I speak, there's spirit. It touches your spirit. It touches you on the inside, and it does something to you. And so it gives you life. It feeds you with life. I thought about the scripture that says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Mm -hmm. So earlier when I said it's like food to the body, Jesus was saying the same thing. You cannot live just on cheeseburgers and filet mignon and and, uh, apple pie and (laughs) banana pudding and and whatever else we want to talk about, yeah. like fried okra and fried squash and anything else homemade is fried. Homemade mac and cheese. Homemade mac and cheese, which your mother makes, which is awesome. Ooh, the best homemade mac now. and cheese. Um, but you can't just live on that. That sustains the physical body. He said, but you you live spiritually by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, from Genesis to Revelation. Anything you read in there, it feeds you. I knew a lady, uh, Claudia Waits, who was the Christian education director at the River Hills Church of God in Tampa, Florida, years ago when I was in college. And so I did an internship there, and they put me under her supervision. And Claudia and I were talking about spiritual things, and she was older than me, very mature in the Lord. Never forget this. She said, if I don't pray and read my Bible, I will get weak, spiritually weak. She said, I can feel it just as if I did not eat or drink for several days, and I begin to get weak in my body physically. She said, I can sense I never heard that before. I didn't realize that if you don't pray, and especially if you don't read the Bible, you, you, you can actually feel the weakness in your spirit. Yeah. And that's why Jesus said you live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I think something, too, to, to take into account when we talk about word and when we talk about the Bible, we're in a, in a time right now, it, it, at least for some people, where reading is not necessarily cool, right? Or I hear a lot of times, I just can't focus when I read or something like that. Um, I don't have the time. Yeah, I don't have the time. And so they say, well, I try and get, I just try and get fed through worship songs or I, I listen to preaching or whatever. And don't get me wrong, that's good. A lot of worship songs are based on scripture. Preaching is obviously teaching on scripture, but there is something important about the word, about the actual word of God, the written 
word of God that God's chosen to communicate through us. And he could have done it any number of ways. He chose to communicate to us through the written word. And so I think we have to acknowledge that as, um, yes, it's historical, but it's a specific choice on God's part to write something down, to have to interact with it, to read it in the format that it is, that it is literature, that it has literary themes in it, that it has everything that, that, is a part of literature. God said, I want to communicate to my people authoritatively that way. And so I think when we encounter the Bible, um, like, yes, listen, listen to as much preaching and teaching and podcasts like you're doing now and whatever is possible, but don't write off the written word, maybe just because of the culture that we're in today or because school forced you to read books you didn't really want to read. God's chosen this for a reason. It's how he communicates with us. The, the simple, you know, I'm, I, I like to keep things simple. And so when I disciple new Christians or disciple people, I tell them, say, look, here's the simple version. When you pray, you talk to God. When you read the Bible, that's how God talks to you. Mm-hmm. It's a dialogue. It's two-way. You have to read the Bible. You have to take in the Word of God because a, a song or a sermon is speaking to a broad audience. But when you get in the Word, God will speak directly to you. Mm-hmm. There's something in it. And he will guide you and direct you, but he'll he'll take what you're studying and he'll speak into your life yeah. and make a difference. There's another scripture where, where in the writer of Hebrews it says, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit, which is very interesting, and of the joints and the marrow, which is your physical body, okay, because your marrow is in your bones, and is a, a discerner of the thoughts and the in, intents of the heart. And so the Bible has is important because it has the capacity capacity to judge you and expose you where you need help. And this might be one reason why people don't want to read the Bible because if they're not if they have areas of their life where they need to be sanctified, where they're not yeah. actually living up to God's standard, you read the Bible, boom, it shines a big spotlight on that area yeah, and God speaks and says, "Deal with this." Mm-hmm. Okay, let me deal with this. And that's what that's what it does. So it'll deal with the physical areas of your life, okay, where you're not living up to God's standard. It will deal with the soulish, that's a word I'm going to use here, a soulish area of your life that has to do with your inner person, your inner being, okay? Then it has to do with your spiritual life. And if something in your spiritual life's not working, God's word shines. That's why it's so important because it, it, it gets the whole man mm-hmm. and, it, and it shows us things. Um, this is something to me is really important. And for years, I have preached this and taught this. So I was excited to come to this podcast to talk about this. One of the powerful things about reading the word of God and the importance of the word of God is it reveals three things. It reveals God's precepts, his principles, and his person. That's good. It's a little alliteration there. Break that down. All right. So your precepts, in the Bible of the precepts, precepts are the commands, the do's and the don'ts. Mm-hmm. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. Everybody's got those. Okay. Do this. Don't do this. And a lot of people think that's what the Bible, that's all the Bible is. It's black and white. It's black and white. Yeah. Telling me what to do, what not to do. It's not. But yes, it has a lot of commands in it. That's, that's ground one. All right. Behind every precept, there's a principle. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's a greater principle behind it. God right? didn't arbitrarily choose things to be right and wrong. Right. There's a real principle behind there's it. A there's principle. a reason. Yeah. There's a reason behind it that's broader. Mm-hmm. All right. Before I elaborate on that, let me go ahead and say the third one. Then there's the person of God. The only way we can have true revelation of God is through his word. He has revealed himself through the word. So you got to get in the word and you find out what God is like. Now, here's how that works. This is why this is so important to me and why I teach it and preach it constantly. So you got a precept that says... Thou shalt not kill. Let's just use the old King James. Mm-hmm. You, you shall not kill. It's one of the Ten Commandments. All right. That's the precept. What's the principle behind that? Life is precious. Life is valuable. Okay? Man is made in the image of God. See, so, so it's important. Mm-hmm. Life is important. It's not made, life is not made to die. Life is made to live. To live yeah. Okay. So <laughs> death is a counteraction of, a, of the principle of life. Okay? And, all, right, all right. Then you, you go, be, who's God? Uh, God is life. God is the source of life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Life. I'm the resurrection and the life. So life flows directly. God breathed in the nostrils of Adam the breath of life, Mm -hmm. and man became a living soul. So the only reason we're alive is because God is life. He is a living being. He creates living things. So that's who what he does. He is life. 
He creates life because he creates life that makes life valuable. And that's why that's the principle. So the precept you shall not kill is there because it will be in violation of not just a principle, but the very nature of God. The person. And I, I think one of those um, connections between word and God that we see so often is John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, is also called the word of God. And so Christ in history showed up as the word to communicate physically to the earth who is the nature and the person of God. Right. Which is like a really cool connection there between word and communication, that Jesus is communicating the nature and the person of God everywhere he went. What did he do? He pointed to the Father. Right. That if you know me, you know the Father. Well, I'm, you know, you and I are doing this here towards the end of the week, but this Sunday I'm actually going to preach about that. The oh, message cool. I'm going to preach is seeing God. Yeah. And uh, so if you want to go on High Praise's website and listen to it out there, you can. But uh, that's the very thing. When you talk about he is the express image of the invisible God, is there, there are a lot of ways, because, you know, seeing is believing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, well, if seeing is believing, not seeing can be not believing. Yeah. And so people say, well, you can't see God, so he must not exist. And, you know, how can I know God exists if he doesn't, if I can't see him? We want empirical evidence. And yet you have Jesus, who is the express image of the invisible God. That's the power of the incarnation. And so everything you want to know about God, you just have to look at Jesus. But there's a passage in John that I'm going to use for a text where he said, hear my words and believe my works. I'm giving the simplified Mm -hmm, version. Yeah. But. But what we're saying, it fits with what we're talking about. He's, if you want to know that I'm God, listen to what I have to say. Mm-hmm. Because he would say, it is written, but I say unto you. And he wow. had the authority to say that. He said, it is written. Here's what the revelation from God you have so far, but I'm going to extend it further because I'm the son of God. I am the word. Yeah. I'm the word that became flesh. And so uh, through his word, he communicates to us. Um, another thing is, and this is so fundamental, the word's important because it's filled with promises. Yeah. And most of the time, those promises, if not all the time, those promises are connected with a command. So Jesus said, if you keep my commands, then I will do this. I will do that. The Father will do this if you keep my commands. So you've got to read the Bible to know the commands, and you got to keep the commands, but then expect the promises. Okay, and maybe one of the things that we're seeing is that we're not receiving a lot of things in our life because we're not living the word. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is I think the Bible is a great source for direction in your life. How many times have you been in a place in your life where you didn't know what to do? You needed direction. Okay, now simple things like do I pick this job or that job? I have two job offers. Okay, I, I don't know that there's scriptures that actually speak to that. Yeah, okay, yeah. though if one job is going to create spiritual hinders, keep you out of the church. The other job is going to be beneficial. Mm-hmm. See, it can still come into play. Yeah. But just in major life decisions and things like that, um, who you marry, how you parent, how, how you operate in your marriage, Yeah. for example, your finances, debt. It, it, the Bible speaks of so many things. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the Word says, your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my pathway. So it'll it'll help it'll help give you direction. Um, two more that I think are really really powerful. The Word of God sanctifies us, and it also is a source for for absolute moral truth. That's good. And um, uh, Jesus said in John seventeen, he was praying for the apostles and praying literally for us. He said, "Sanctify them," and that word means to set apart. So he said, "Sanctify them through your." And he was praying to God, "Sanct the Father, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth." Okay, so there's two things in there. How are we set apart from the life we used to live to the life we now live in Christ? Is We don't live by the world system or standard. We don't live by the words that were spoken to us that, were, that, that led us in a wrong direction. Now we go to God's word and we live according to it. We're living in a way that sets us apart from people who are unbelievers. And, and that doesn't make us you know, special. What it does is it gives us an opportunity to shine to them and say, look, what I've got, you can have. Yeah. But it's also the source of absolute moral truth. Thy word is truth. Your word is truth. Okay. So, you know, today, Evan, and your, your generation, especially with the moral relevance that we have, or, or relativity rather, more morality is relative, um, not relevance, but relative. That's a big issue. Yeah. Okay. What's wrong for you might be right for me, and what's uh, right for me may be wrong for you. But we'll just respect each other, and and you believe what you want to believe, and I want to believe. But it doesn't work that way because I can't say two plus two is four, but you say, well, no, I think two plus two is five. 
I mean, yeah, it doesn't only, work like it that. It doesn't work that way. There's only one truth, mm-hmm. and so that's and that's and so this is important because people don't want a lot of people, sinful people, don't want a source of absolute moral truth. Yeah, they want to make up their own standard. They want to say, well, as long as I do this and this and this, I think I'm right with God and I'm going to heaven. But it's not. You have to let God speak and tell us what the standard is and what's right and what's wrong because he is perfect and he is God. And I think this is a critical – I'd like to hear what you have to say because I think this is a critical issue, especially for your generation, the millennial generation. You know, How do you feel about this? Yeah, I think this is – I think this is one of the more relevant – topics today because like you said we we don't know where truth comes from so we begin to sort of make up our own truths and then those begin to clash clash because at the end of the day what you believe determines how you behave and so if we have a society that doesn't have a common belief and doesn't really know where morality comes from well then you've got all of these people going well you know how are we how are we supposed to interact with one another how are we supposed to treat one another how are we supposed to live our lives and who says so and so at, at the end of the day we've got all of these ideas about what is right and what is wrong and it's really just philosophers sort of sitting in their office trying to figure out how are we supposed to treat people from nothing and at the end of the day it's how do you really know what's right and wrong because if there is no god if there is no more authority is if there is no final say we'll never agree on anything on what is right and wrong and so then you've got all of these competing ideas of how we're allowed to treat one another without any final say and it's never going to end and so now you've got a lot of confusion out there that's led to some of the kind of wacky moral situations that we found ourselves in today as far as um you know i mean you can just name any one of them all right well here here's the issue from a pastoral point okay a, a guy you and i are pastors we, we care about people we care about all people we especially care about god's people because they're put under our care here's the problem that i'm seeing you're seeing it is you have all kinds of sources in our society whether that's high school college professors um Rock stars, pop stars, mm-hmm. name it. Um, the internet, all kinds of sources, unbelievable, more than we could count places, people that are influencing. So here's what happened. You have people that are born again, trying to serve God. They want to do what's right, but because of the, of the direction of the culture, they are actually embracing truths that are that are false truth moral they're 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 not embracing moral truth they're embracing immoral truth mm-hmm. so here's what i'm talking about you have people that are saved but they think abortion is okay they think that um be, the, the whole transgender things that's fine you know that homosexuality is okay that same-sex marriage is okay why because it's become the norm in our society mm-hmm. all right and so they figure well if it's the norm in the society i guess i guess it must be okay so somehow they're trying to pull together and collaborate these teachings of the world, which are false and in direct conflict with God's statements on these issues, but still serve God. You can't do that. At some point, there's going to be a a crisis in your life, and you're going to have to come to a point where you're going to have to agree with God's word, or else the Holy Spirit is going to convict you and say, wait a minute, this is not the way I feel. This is not the way I, this this doesn't flow from who I am. And, And here's the thing that I just want to say. This is important. You have to let God's word determine your beliefs. And and one of the things you left out, that was a great statement that beliefs determine your behavior. Beliefs also determine your values. Mm -hmm. So your beliefs and your values determine your behavior as well. So what do you value? And so you have to let God's word determine. You have to value what God values. You say, well, wait a minute. But then that puts me in conflict with my peers, that puts me in conflict with my college professor, that puts me in conflict with society, that means that the stuff I read, I'm going to have to look and say, well, wait a minute, I don't agree with that. Exactly. Because we are not cultural as believers in Christ. We are countercultural. Yeah. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. And that's part of shining the light in the darkness is you have to say, wait a minute. Okay, before I was saved, I might have believed that those things I mentioned earlier were okay. But now that I'm in Christ and I read the Word, I understand those things are sinful. And, they are immoral. Yeah. And I think some some of, if we're getting more specific, some of the things that we see today, 
when we kick the Bible out is is a lot of the thoughts that we get now are from from more of an atheistic viewpoint. A lot Very of the, the morality that we get. And so when we set that apart, you know, we can say things like we should treat people with dignity or we should treat people with honor, but there's no actual basis for that. Because from a, much of the atheistic worldview is that, I mean, you're just an accident. You're nothing more than a cosmic accident. You happen to be here. You're dancing to your own DNA. You're a floating piece of meat that's just trying to survive like any other animal. But when you come from a, a God worldview, the reason you need to treat people with love and with care and respect and love your neighbor um, as yourself is because they're people made in the image of God. Exactly. That they're stamped with God's image and that they have um, intrinsic and inherent value. And so you need to begin to... Um, you know, love them because that's that's who God's created you to be and them to be. And yet that, and then, but and that, I mean, I'm with you 100. percent That's exactly right. That's what makes the, the, the Christian religion, the true authentic religion, mm-hmm. so powerful because we have the basis for yes, you there's dignity for all people. We love everybody, but we also say there is a moral standard. So it's you know it's an old saying it works and it's true so I can love the sinner but I'm not going to like your sin matter of fact I may even hate your sin I don't hate you but because I hate your sin doesn't make me hateful mm-hmm. that doesn't mean I hate you so if I see somebody that's a homosexual practicing homosexual your lifestyle may be absolutely disgusting and despicable to me because it's contrary to how God designed us to live okay it's a perversion. Not strong words, but it is. It's a perverted sin. It's an abomination in the eyes of God. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to hate you, okay, that I have to be a homophobe. I guess that's the word. No, I can still look at you and say, but you know what? I love you. Mm -hmm. God loves you. And, you know, the reality is I've said this. A lot of people never think about this. Uh, We focus in on one sins of person, but a person who's – let's just talk about homosexual. person's a homosexual. You and I don't agree with that lifestyle. We think it's immoral. It's a sin. But you know what? It's not the only sin that guy has in his life. He probably lies and steals and cheats and does – when you're a sinner, you sin. (laughs) You know, there might be one dominant sin, but that's why you just have to say your whole life is probably full of sin. So I'm not going to condone anything you say or do just like I wouldn't anybody else. Mm-hmm. But I can still love you, and, and that's how God – and I can care about you, and I can say, look, there's a better way. And, and if you want to know about it, I'll be happy to tell you about it. And I would say even culturally, not not necessarily as we're talking about um, you know morality in the sense of confronting sinners, but I'm just talking about as a culture giving people dignity and respect on just stuff we disagree on. I would say uh, when we view politics – there's so much division in our country right now, um, and when you don't bring the Bible in view, you have no moral basis to look at somebody who you completely disagree with politically and not be a jerk to them. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And so I think what we found today is like we have no good discourse on the things that we believe in because we demonize people and we don't treat them with like actual love and respect like we should. I think another thing that we see, too, that's important with the Bible is a proper understanding of the Bible, Um, because uh, oftentimes we see people take uh, moral values of today, of today's culture, and then read it back into the Bible. And so, I mean, we're just kind of on this one. Oftentimes we say Jesus told us to love one another, but we don't pull a biblical view of love. We pull the world's view of whatever they think love is and then read it back into Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I think as we read the Bible, it's important, too, to say, hey, how do we approach it in a good and understanding way or else we might be in danger to take today's morality and read it back into the Scriptures? Um, when in reality, we should be pulling all truth from the scriptures. So I think today's idea of, say, love is you've got to accept me in everything I do, and you can never disagree with me. If you disagree with my ideas, then you're disagreeing with me. If you say my ideas are wrong, then my existence is wrong, and Jesus said to love. And it's like, yep. well, hold up. That's not Jesus's definition of love. No. And so we have to be careful to understand where's the scriptures coming from and not read our own morality into it. Yeah, and we did that in this country back in the slavery issue, mm-hmm. which was a long, long time ago. I know, I mean, that's been, uh, you know, 100 years, whatever, yes. it's more since but that's been an issue. But there were, there were people and pastors and churches that actually took the scriptures and twisted it to justify the institution of slavery. Yeah. And that's what you're talking about, where you're trying to take a cultural situation or societal norm and then read it back into the Word of God. And what's supposed to happen is the Word of God is supposed to shine the light on your culture. 
Yeah. Is it and say, are you matching up with what God's word says? Yeah. So um, here's a couple things or a few things I want to toss more in a couple, but you know, that's the importance of the word. But Evan, if we can, let's talk about the importance of reading the Bible. Yeah. Okay. So we know the word of God's important, but now we're going to get into reading the Bible. Why is it important to read the Bible? I think one of the main things is um, it helps you to obey God and avoid sin. Okay, mm-hmm. if there are commands and you want to please God, if you want to please, you know, if you, if, a, if a child wants to please a parent, the parent has to tell them what they expect. Yeah, and the Bible has God's expectations. Like you said, He said, "My word will sanctify your father. Sanctify them with my word, your truth." Right. So if I'm going to do what's right and avoid what's wrong, I got to read the Bible. Um, it guards you from false teachers and false teaching. Mm-hmm. I think this one's critical, especially in this day and time with the internet, in the social uh, media, and with the web, World Wide Web. You can just get access to so much. And there are some people out there that are false teachers, but they are shrewd and they word things a certain way. And you can think, maybe they're right. And that's where you got to go back to the Word of God. Always judge any teaching by what God's Word says. And never think that you're too good or too Christian to fall into it. I was talking to somebody um, the other day, and, and they said they had a family member who's a very strong Christian. Um, and loving the Lord. I mean, they were into it, and they went to a particular church with a sketchy pastor teaching some sketchy things, and after a while, they started uh, caving in on very like easy moral topics that the Bible teaches. Like, for instance, sex outside of marriage is okay. Right, like that's like you so. Know that's what, I mean? what he was teaching. So you go from very strong Christian to getting into the wrong situation, and not and and, and maybe tre- treating a a teacher or a pastor or a theologian um, as more important than the scriptures. Wow. And then you walk away with something sketchy. So the oh, reason that we, yes. and, let, and let's clarify, he was, he was quoting the preacher sex outside of marriage is not yeah, okay. It's not, it's okay. not okay. Just, we're saying it's not, it's okay, not okay. But that guy was preaching. It, <laughs> yeah. So nobody's listening and saying, what did they just say? <laughs> <laughs> so the point being is that, you know, no, don't ever think of yourself too good. You've got to yeah. ground yourself in the word because we're all susceptible to some wackiness if, if we're not solid in, in the Bible. That's good. Another one encourages you. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many things that can discourage you, man. You can just read the Bible and you'll just, you'll get through and you'll, you'll, it'll, you'll just feel like, man, I feel so encouraged now. And it, it'll counter anything. It'll pull you down. This is an important one. It produces faith in God. Yeah. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I know that passage talks primarily about faith in Jesus Christ to be saved. But I think there's a greater principle behind that, Mm -hmm. that that how we have confidence in God, we can rely on God, we know we can depend on God, Mm -hmm. is because He's given us His Word. And He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will never pass away. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And Jesus said, the the words that I speak will not return to me void. Mm -hmm. God the Father said that. But it shall come to pass, whatever I do. So here's another one. Uh, And you and I love praise and worship. And we're musical. Our family's musical. I think. I think reading the word can improve your praise and worship. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about that? I think so because as you read the word, like you begin to see God's mighty works. You, um, especially as you read through the entire Bible, it's like over and over and over again. It doesn't matter how sinful God's people are. He's still faithful. He's faithful to his promises. He's powerful. And when you take a glimpse at um, just the glory and the power of God, like just even in creation, um, you just you bow down at someone and something that's so much more powerful than you are. Like think about um, going to just one of the great wonders of the world or think about when you, you go up to the mountains. Um, Matt Chandler, the pastor of the Village Church, uses this all the time. He's like, nobody stands to the Grand Canyon and goes, I'm pretty amazing, right? <laughs> like, I'm incredible. I'm a big CEO. I've got lots of money. Everybody look at me. Like, you just stand in awe and feel so small mm-hmm. at the wonder of what this is. And I think when we view the scriptures, we kind of we are able to stand in awe and feel small at the glory and the power of God, and it produces worship in you. That's so, that's, that's awesome. Because, like you just said right there, that he's faithful, he's powerful, he's awesome. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, I heard T.D. Jakes preach one time, and he said, he's awful. 
<laughs> and he said, you know, that's a bad word in art, but it means, in the truest sense, it means he's full of all. Full of all, it yeah. crea- It makes us full of all. Mm. And so that's the point, is the more you read the Bible and you you see who he is, then that translates into when you're in church and you have your hands up and you're worshiping and praising, you actually have things you can say to him. God, you're faithful. God, mm-hmm. um, I have a theology that praise is celebratory Worship is dedicatory. Mm-hmm. So in praise, I celebrate who he is, but in worship, I dedicate. It's dedicatory in that I, I focus on who he is. Mm-hmm. So praise is what he's done, rather. I'm sorry. Praise is what he's done. Worship is on who he is. Yeah. And so I can get excited about what he's done, but then in those moments as it centers in, it becomes very worshipful. I'm worshipful. I'm just concentrating on who he is. Yeah. Um, I think it enables you, the Word of God, to better defend the faith. Yes. You ever had a situation where somebody asked you a question you didn't know the answer? I mean, yeah. that's a that's a bad place. Mm-hmm. Or somebody wants you to address a doctrinal issue and you don't have the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not the way we should be. You don't have to be a theologian with a an earned Bible degree like you and I have and a master's degree. Is you just have to know the word. Yeah. And I think if you know the word, then you're able to defend. I had that happen to me when I was in college. By the way, I was at USC Upstate. God had not called me in the ministry. It had a real big influence on me because I worked with some guys, and they found out that I was Pentecostal, you know, and, and I was spirit-filled. And that's, we're unapologetic about being Pentecostals, and uh, we have a spirit-filled church. And they were, you know, supposed to be Christians, but they were from a non-Pentecostal, and they were adversarial. Well, about four or five of them ganged up on me one night at the place where I was working, and I mean, they started just bombarding me, and it, and it was adversarial. They were yeah. they were being agitators, and I was eighteen, and I I didn't have the ability. I mean, I knew from experience, but I really didn't have the answer. And I remember it, it was so it was embarrassing. Yeah, it was tough because they were just really letting me have it, and I just couldn't answer back. And honestly, when I went to Bible college, God called me in the ministry. Um, I, I took the the route of hermeneutics and apologetics. I had an entire year of apologetics because that event affected me so much that I said that's never going to happen to me again. I think that's why so much I'm so apologetic in my approach to a lot of ministry, and it is in the way I deal with the folks here at High Praises. I try to teach them things that mm-hmm. they can learn to be able. So I want them to be able when they're at work or in their homes and their family gatherings or wherever that if they get asked a question, they're going to be able to say, look, here's what our pastor told us and have some meat to it mm-hmm. to be able to defend what they believe. I just kind of imagined you as the karate kid there. I'm not going to lie. You, right, you get beat up and then you go find Master Miyagi and then you become like the theology karate master. Wax on, and then, <laughs> wax off. What was his like move at the end of the movie? What was, was it? it? The crane. Yeah, it? The, the, crane. the crane. Yeah, I'm gonna put a. You've got theological a theological crane. <laughs> crane move on him. Crane kick. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, I can see myself with a, a, a headband around my <laughs> walking into a dojo. Um, Another thing about the Bible, this is really, really important, is we know it's a weapon against Satan. Yeah. You know, when Jesus was um, tempted in the wilderness, he said every time Satan would throw a lie at him or throw something, he would come back, it is written. And we know it is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So when the enemy lies to you, how are you going to come back against that? You don't mm-hmm. want to be deceived by him, so you got to know the Word. Here's the last one. I think we touched on it. Um, it just gives wisdom to every area of life. Yeah. And the Bible is relevant. Do you know the Bible says that you're not supposed to co-sign with somebody on a note? A lot of people don't know that. There are several places in the book of Proverbs that says do not co-sign with somebody on a note, on a loan. Mm-hmm. And if they said if you do, go to them and beg and plead and do not leave them until you get out of it. Wow. Okay? And now I'm not talking about like, say, when you were younger and you wanted to go buy a car and I'm your dad and I go co-sign for you. Yeah. That's one thing. But you got a business partner or somebody that says, Hey, I, my credit's not good. Will you mind co-sign? And I got this deal. I want to, they're like, no, because do, not wise. No, do not take the more, the financial responsibility of somebody else. When you can't control whether they're going to work, they're going to make their payments. But you think, well, who would do that? There are people that have done it. Mm-hmm. They've done it personally and they've done it in business. And the, the Bible says, don't do that. It speaks to that. Mm-hmm. The Bible speaks to every area. You can be a better parent. You can be a better spouse. By just reading the Word of God. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't give you – it's not like it's like this personal guidebook to your every decision in your life, but it, it hits the major topics, and it gives you the moral framework. I think people often ask, you know, what does God want me to do? In a highly specific way, we get that question a lot. When the Bible addresses, who does God want me to be? 
Yeah. And if you become who God wants you to be and you're connecting with him daily, then he will guide you in the specifics of what do I do. Exactly. Because you reflect his character. Yeah, exactly. So, well, I think that's fantastic. And I, and as we move on to the the latter part, the sort of the end ending part here of our podcast, I think it would be helpful to go through how do we read the Bible wisely? How do we understand the Bible um, because we talked about, you know, you want to read it, but we want to be able to understand it um, as a, a very, very old document, thousands of years old document. Um, there's some things that can be tough sometimes, but the Bible is written so that every person can understand it. God wants to communicate to his people, not just through teachers and pastors, but to just people reading his word. Um, so what are some things that we can do? And maybe we can walk them through real quick, just this process of understanding God's word. All right, here's what we'll do. Um, I'm going to set the table, then you serve the food. And I'll set the table. So <laughs> here we go. If you're going to study the Bible, because that's what we're talking about, mm-hmm. there's some fundamental things that you have to do. We're going to set the table. Yeah. One, you need to set a time Yes. daily. So some people, it's better in the morning. Some people, it's better at night. So for some people, it may be at break, at work, or at lunch while they're at lunch. But set a specific time where you know that's my time to get in the Word, and it will become a habit with you. The second thing is you need to choose a place that has no distractions, mm-hmm. a place that's comfortable, a place that you can be alone, all right? So that's pretty critical because I can't focus with there's noise and all. I have to get alone. Um, third, if possible, have some study materials nearby. Whether yes, that's a, I con- agree. a concordance or, or just a study. If you have a study Bible, you get it all in one. Mm-hmm. And whether that's physical material books or whether it's electronic through your phone mm-hmm. or your iPad or your computer where you can look up words. And we'll, I'm going to let you get into that in just a minute. Yeah. And then I think this is important. I've done this. I mean, you know, I don't read the Bible just to get sermons. I read, I, first thing I do every day is I just read the Bible for God to speak to me. Yeah. That's what I do. I've done it for years. Somebody wisely taught me that. And uh, sometimes I'll pray and say, God, will you just show me, just speak to me today, show me you know, anything I need to see. And that's an important thing to do is pray. Mm-hmm. I agree. So anyway, that's, that's kind of the fundamentals. Yeah. So I've set the table. Now I'm going to let you service. How, how do we study the Bible, Ev? Yeah, let's, we'll, we'll go back, back and forth on this and just sort of talk. But um, I'd like to walk you through like a simple uh, process that I use actually in just developing my sermons. Um, not so as, you know, not, you know, not talking about app, you know, application and the, you know, whatever the stories, but just talking about, Hey, how do I understand the scripture? And this is something I believe everybody can do. This is real simple. First, just start asking some questions, get a passage of passage of scripture, read it and go, what do I not understand about this? Why is this here? Why did they include this and and go through the passage and start asking yourself questions? And one of the things I find myself doing a lot is um, is really asking, why did they include this here? And then other things is, what in the world does this mean? Um, because there, you know, there are a handful of passages that you've just heard preached so many times and been in so many lessons that you kind of you're so familiar with it, you kind of get to the point. But if you're being honest, most of Scripture you get to it and you're like. There's a couple things in there. You're going, what in the world is this? Yep. And so first, it's helpful to just go ahead and start asking the questions. What do you understand and what do you not understand in the passage? And you begin to break it down. And I'll share something here. Um, I took journalism in high school, which was a lot of fun. And I learned some things about journalism, classic journalism. Um, journalists are trained to ask the basic questions, who, what, where, when, and why. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you knew this. But in classic journalism, if you have a really good journalist, when you read the first paragraph in a newspaper article, that article is supposed to con- that first paragraph is supposed to answer who, what, where, when, and why, wow. and then the rest of the article expands on that. Wow! So now, for all of you listening, you need to go look up something on the internet or go buy a newspaper test and, out. and <laughs> just test it out and see. But that's what we were trained. That's yeah. that's classic. That's a good thing to do is who who's who's in this passage? What's going on here? Where is this happening? You know, mm-hmm. when is this taking place? And why is this happening? Yeah. That'll help. Yeah, it will. And what this is supposed to do is this is really just supposed to get your brain working. It's supposed to get you in the passage. It forces you to not just sort of gloss over what you're reading and just read it real quick. It, it kind of makes you take a deep look at it. Um, I don't know about you, but there's oftentimes texts that I'll, I've read a lot um, and that I'll be reading. But when I make myself ask questions about it, circle some stuff, underline some stuff, 
I'll pick up on some things that I hadn't read my first couple of times through it because I just sort of glossed over it. And then it ends up becoming something that's very key in the passage. So ask those questions. Yeah, and by the way, it's okay to write in your Bible. Mm -hmm. Some people get, it's the Word of God, I can't do it. You're not supposed to add to the Bible. That's not what that means. That's not what that means. As long as you don't claim your notes or Scripture, we're good. Right, you're inspired by God. (laughs) I write all in my study Bible. I mean, I've got mine here today, and I'll circle passages, I'll highlight, I'll I'll, I'll write things in the margins. Uh, I mean, I've got it right here. I'm looking at notes. I just... I'll see little things, and I'll write on your Bible. There's the highlight. That's a good thing to do. And for me, because I just, for some reason, I'm just particular about that. I hate writing in any books, but I've got a program, and so this is anything you can do on pull up a Word document or laptop and go verse by verse and just write some stuff on it, Mm -hmm. ask some questions, point out some stuff. So if you're like OCD about it, Take out your phone. Take out your computer. <laughs> That's right. You can there do you it. You can type it. Um, two, look at a few translations. Um, oftentimes when we look at translations, there are some that come from different manuscript backgrounds. There might be some um, some questions over what was included and what was not. And some translations are very literal. So they wanted to translate it as perfect as possible. And some translations are designed to kind of help you understand it. So they might give you some hints at what the writer is trying to say, even though um, you may be in the literal translation, you don't pick up on that. So see what the translations do. And if they disagree, well, that's one of your questions that you can ask us. And, and, Why do they ad- disagree? Oh, I'm sorry. And let's address that too. Um, you know, you say, well, somebody, if I was listening to this, I'd go, well, what translations are you talking about? Well, you and I work with a new King James. The King James is very archaic. It was written in the 1600s. So, the New King James is modern, mm-hmm. and and it's very it's a very good translation. The New American Standard Bible has been known as a very good, solid translation. More of that literal, mm-hmm. okay. The older New International Version. Now, the newer copies you don't. So you want the one that was the New International Version from nineteen eighty four. Four, yeah. Don't get the newer translation because they have strayed. Those translators have strayed, and they're doing some things that violate. The, you know, hermeneutical principles that we agree on, they've gotten liberal. Okay. Th- those are real, fu- those are, you know, a lot of people, especially younger people, like the message Bible. And the message Bible is what you're talking about. It can kind of help you kind of in modern mm-hmm. terms. But at the same time, I don't know that it's really getting you back to what the writers really, that's really, there's a lot of interpretation in the message Bible. Yeah. I was more hinting at something like, um, like the NLT, the New Living Translation or whatever. There, so there, there's, uh, there's a lot there. Well, and then the New Living Translation is a paraphrase. And you have the message even more. <laughs> yes, even more. So that's why I'm saying you can read that, and it might, it might help you some, but I always tell people to stay away from those paraphrases because you're not really – that's somebody's opinion of what they think the writer was saying, not really yeah. according to the original. But you're right. Read the you can read different trends, and there's so many. The Holman Christian Bible, I think, the Holman mm-hmm. Bible, that's a good. Bible. And now it's the CSB. I think it's just CSB, CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. So there's some good ones out there you can read. Here's how I approach it, um, just to bring some clarity on it. Uh, there's some with different backgrounds. So I like to read the ESV, which is a very little translation. Yes, and then we work with the New King James here. They both came from two different manuscript backgrounds. And so what that means is they're both literal translations, but sometimes you'll get some things that were included and some weren't included, and you kind of get you get to pick up on some things there. And then also I like to go from more literal over to paraphrase. So you always, your standard reading, you want it to be more literal. Right. That way you're getting what the Word of God says. Things like NIV 1984, they might clarify it, still trying to be a little bit more literal, but in some modern language that'll help you out. And then something like the message, the message is considered a paraphrase, where the author wasn't taking the original Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic or anything like that and translating it over literally. They're essentially writing, what do we think this means? If you're going into it, just know this should not probably be my standard study Bible. Know that you're getting somebody's opinion. You might get some good poetic writing there or something interesting, but know what you're getting into yeah. before you get into it. So you're an ESV guy and I'm a new King James. My version's better than yours. Ah, no, I'm just we kidding. can talk about it later. No, I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. Um, third, and, and, and the next two that we're about to talk about, these are the biggies. These are the biggest things that you want to do. Third, you want to look at the literary context. And um, here's all that means is simplified. If you get across a passage, 
look what was before it and look what was after it. Um, at the end of the day, now it's got, it, there's a little bit more there, but just starting out, look what happened before the story or the passage or the section or whatever, and look what happened after it because context is key. I tell people all the time, the authors of the Bible inspired by the Holy Spirit weren't dumb. <laughs> they knew what they were doing. They were very logical and they put things there for a reason. And so we want to look at why in the world did they put that there? And I think a lot of times when we look at letters, like for instance, if we look at the Apostle Paul in Romans, right, that's one guy writing a letter. So it kind of makes a little bit more sense that he's going to write logically, right? He's going to write in a coherent flow. I think a lot of times when we're reading something like the Gospels, we don't pay attention to the context as much because I think we forget that the writers were not writing chronologically. So when we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they weren't pulling out their journals as Jesus was doing stuff and like day four, Jesus healed this blind guy and they're not trying to write it in order. Um, a lot of the gospel writers, they wrote it 20, 30 years after all of these events. And what they want you to see is not the chronological order of the events, but they want to communicate something theological. And so as we look at the writings of Mark or Luke or Matthew, we want to ask, why did they specifically put these stories one after another? Because they're writing to give you a theological point, a point about God. So one story may have happened in the first year of Jesus's ministry, in the, the second one, in the third year, and the third one, whenever. But they're placing them together to communicate something about the nature of yeah, God. And, and in all fairness, the gospel writers—I mean, they do—they try to be chronological. For all fairness, but some of it does bounce around. So in, I, maybe in a general, general sense, sense. But if you're right. looking at three stories back to back to back, it doesn't necessarily mean right. Um, and so they're wanting to communicate something specific about God. At right. Some point. And and because uh, I don't want anybody thinking when they're reading now, well, I don't know if this has happened. When did this happen? I mean, they do. They try. I mean, obviously, they start with his birth and end with his death and yeah, resurrection. Yeah, yeah. So I don't mean rigidly. Rigidly. Is what I mean. Uh, but, and you're right. You're perfectly right on this. And like the historical books, like First Saint Samuel, First Saint Kings, First Saint Chronicles, that is a chronology. Yes. That goes in order. It's yes. very historical. It's about facts, facts and figures and people. You, you take Paul's letters. Paul usually started out with a theological and then shifts to the, the practical, practical. Mm-hmm. but they're still letters. And like one of the most, the passage, and we're, we're Pentecostal, one of the passages that is the most difficult for so many people is when you get to 1 Corinthians 14. Paul bounces all over the place. It's a letter. He's writing a letter to people. So there are things that he'll start with this and he'll bounce with this and he'll come back to this. And we all do that when we write letters. You know, I don't sit down and say with, with a letter that I'm writing to somebody, uh, I'm going to have a systematic, I just start writing. You know, difference with us and him is that he was under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you got to you got to determine. Um, you know, what is is this a letter? So it's going to read more like a letter, or is this a history mm-hmm. book like Second Kings? And oftentimes, you'll get hints of what what are they trying to say through these three different stories or through this section here, and you'll pick up on some things there. Um, fourth, this is one of the major ones: is the historical cultural context. And that just means what's going on at the time that could impact the understanding. Because at the end of the day, the Bible wasn't written in the 21st century. It was written back in the day. And so there may be some cultural ideas or concepts, some things that are very unfamiliar with us um, that we you know don't know about. Or maybe if it's somebody writing a letter to a certain church, we want to ask, what were the problems going on in that church? And when we can realize the reason or the purpose that the author is writing to that church, well, then the text comes alive and we get the context. I, I think about it all the time. Imagine if you started a movie an uh, hour and a half in, watched 20 minutes of it, and turned it off. You'd have no idea what was going on. But if you got the plot and you understood the problem and who are the main characters there, then you'd begin to pick up on the actual thing. So, for instance, when you read First John, you can still pick up a lot on it. Don't get me wrong. But when you realize that John is writing to a bunch of churches and he's writing because there are a bunch of false teachers teaching something called Gnosticism, mm-hmm. which is that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, and that there are a bunch of people who said you couldn't live right 
and you'd still be saved. You don't have to um, obey the Bible. And when you do that, then you realize, wait, I understand why John is writing this now, and it puts it into context for you. This is this is why study Bible and is yeah, so important. You've got to have resources because, for this. Right, and at the beginning of it, that's why I'm, I'm sitting here with my Spirit-Filled Life Study Bible, which is one I highly recommend, mm-hmm. the Spirit-Filled Life Study Bible. And at the beginning of John, all right, or, or I could go to 1 John for that matter, is I look at it. Um, uh, and by the way, that's by Thomas Nelson Bibles, if you're wondering. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this whole thing about it tells me who the author is, the date, the purpose, John and the Synoptic Gospels. It gives me the content, tells me the Holy Spirit at work, Christ, how he's revealed, personal application. All that's in just one page, yeah. front and back, that helps. Look, uh, you've moved out, obviously. You're married. But your mom and I, every once in a while at night, will say, hey, let's watch a movie on Netflix. You know what I always do? I look at the trailer. Unless I really know what this movie is, I look at the trailer. You can preview. So I'll mm-hmm. hit a button, and it'll show me. And what the trailer does, it kind of gives me the overview of what this movie's about. And then I'll look at Leah, and she'll say, I think that looks good. And I'll mm-hmm. say, me too. Let's, that's what you're doing. you got to get a trailer yeah. before you watch the movie. Get the context. Get read the read the passages. Get the historical, cultural. Just read those in your study Bible. And mm-hmm. then from there, you can say, now I kind of understand what the writer's actually saying. And that's something that, and with everything that we're trying to communicate, that these are things that you can do at home. Like when we talk about the literary, you could look at the passage before and after and get it. When you when you want to talk about the historical, um, just pick up a study Bible. There's some resources online, some e-books, some e-study Bibles that you can get. Very simple things that are a worthwhile investment that you read a couple pages before you get into that book, and it just is able to open up your understanding because you know what you're hopping into. This is something that you can do. Yep. So those were the two biggies. When you look at why in the world is this here, and then you look at, hey, what could be going on historically or culturally right now, those are the big ones that will help you out so much. If you can put that into practice to try and get as much context as possible, you'll begin to understand the scriptures even more. And then there's a few things towards the end here. That definitely will help you. Um, one of them is genre. What's the genre of the passage, and how could this impact your understanding? Um, the Bible is a collection of a lot of different books, and it's a lot of different genres, and those will impact your understanding. We don't have to list all of them, but we can give some of the big ones. What the Bible consists mostly of is narrative. The Bible is made up of a whole lot of stories because stories are great. They're memorable. That's what a movie is. That's what uh, maybe a fiction novel is or whatever. We love telling stories as human beings. One of the biggest things, if I can tell you um, about a narrative, is that a lot of times when we read the Bible, we want the narrator to give us the moral conclusion. But when a lot, oftentimes, especially in the Old Testament, the narrator themselves won't condemn the actions of maybe what somebody did, but it doesn't mean it's any less moral or immoral, if that makes sense. So, for instance, um, the narrator themselves um, don't necessarily say that, you know, I don't know, David taking Bathsheba is wrong. We find out later from the prophet Nathan. But just because the narrator didn't go, and David took Bathsheba, insert you know, paraphrase here, it was wrong. It doesn't mean that it was any less wrong or anything like that. They're wanting you to glean understanding from the story that they're telling you. And the stories that you read in 1 Samuel, 1 Kings, like David, are built on the precepts that yep. were in the Torah, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The author's assuming you have an understanding. Yeah, of that you understand it. So that's the background. Mm-hmm. That's the background. And even the Old Testament was divided into the Law and the Prophets. Yeah. So you have the Law and the Prophets, and then within that you have the, you have the historical books mm-hmm. and the, um, the what they often call the poetic books, which is like Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, or, or the wisdom books. So you you have to read that. So Proverbs is going to read different than Psalms, which are a bunch of songs. Well, talk to us about this. Talk to us if we can hit two more about um, wisdom literature, and then let's talk about some apocalyptic literature. I think those are two ones that sometimes people maybe have a hard time with. How do we read first wisdom and poetic literature well? Well, you that first thing is you understand that it's that. Mm-hmm. So when you read the Psalms, those are songs. They're songs that have just been compiled of 150 songs. They were, they were meant to be sung. Yeah. Okay. But they, they contain theology. 
So you have to think about that. When you get into Proverbs, they're they're like one liners. Yeah. Pithy little sayings of truth that you so you have to take that it's better to eat those. You don't stuff eight chicken nuggets in your mouth at once. <laughs> Right, you could, you but could, you shouldn't. But you're going to get choked. <laughs> That's how it is with the the proverbs. Yeah. You eat one chicken nugget at a time, and the best way to read the proverbs is just one one proverb at a time, and yeah. dwell on that and read that. Ecclesiastes is a is a philosophical work. Mm-hmm. Vanity of vanities, life is meaningless without God. Yeah, I mean that's so the you whole get point. to the end. You don't really get the end. Fear God, and keep His commandments, and so. You have to approach them as those kind of books, those kind of literatures. Now, um, the apocalyptic literature, which would be basically um, books like Daniel, Daniel, Revelation. part of Daniel, Revelation, part of Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to take those as incredibly symbolistic. Yes, and it it takes a lot of help to to understand that. Uh, uh, and really, you should study. You should have a study guide when you're reading mm-hmm. those kind of books because um, the imagery demands some kind of interpretation. Yeah. And some of it we have and some of it we don't. And but, oftentimes it takes a robust biblical understanding, even cultural understanding, to pick up on some of those symbols that otherwise you'd be like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I don't understand what's happening here. And I think Ezekiel is probably the toughest of all those. Mm -hmm. If you ever read the book of Ezekiel, a wheel in the middle of a wheel and all these things that he saw. But yet um, God has given a lot of people some incredible insight into Mm -hmm. those things. So, um, yeah, I think that's fantastic. And um, just a couple more things that you can do. One is um, word studies. Whenever you go in there, it's simple as... What are some theologically significant words? So obviously the word the and and are not. not, are not. But what are some important words? Words like love, words like faith, words like propitiation, right? If you see some stuff that seems super Christian-y, you should ask, what in the world does that mean? And so that's where there are Bible dictionaries. I mean, I mean online. Places like Theopedia, you know, like a an encyclopedia for theological words, simple things like that. And then you can also go to places like blueletterbible.com. It's for free. Type in the Bible verse. It'll give you what that word meant in the original in the original language and open up your standing, you know, a little bit better. And all that's free, quick search on the internet, and then you get on your way. Right. And if you have a study Bible like I have, they actually have word studies all through. Yep. So sin would be a word mm-hmm. you really want to understand. Um, love, glory. Yeah. And as I'm just flipping through, truth, those are big words. Um, savior. Yeah. You know, what What does that mean in the Bible? And then it could be just as simple as withdrawn. I mean, you think, well, is that, is that really a big word? Or giving thanks, mm-hmm. scriptures. You know, mm-hmm. the Bible talks about scriptures. And so, Lord, that's a big one. Yeah. You know, people don't realize that, the understanding the... the um, the the uh, semantics behind that or whatever uh, the word studies are really important and I think too um, not only what are the meanings of words but I'm pointing out maybe words that repeat themselves so oftentimes especially like when we read Paul in the epistles if he's using a similar word or phrase over and over and over again, and especially in the same passage, maybe you want to circle that and go, hey, why is he repeating this over and over and over? Maybe that's important. And then finally, this is one that's kind of funny, um, especially in the letters. If you ever see a therefore, you want to ask, what is it therefore? Because a therefore means it's connecting to something that they just said. So there's little things like that. And finally, what is the main idea of the text and how is it developed? What's the structure? Like I said, the the biblical authors, the biblical writers, they were smart. They wrote these books in ways that make sense. So it's as simple as going, where does it start? How does it all connect? How does it finish? You can, if you take the time to circle some things, to really break it down, you'll see that they're not just sort of jumbling up a bunch of things, but they're logical and putting things in an important place. Yeah, I'll give you a simple example, and I'd read it this week. The second to the last book of the Bible, sometimes it's ignored, is mm-hmm. the book of Jude. Most likely Jude was the biological brother of James and, and Jesus, the yeah. stepbrother, if you will, the, 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 the kid that was born after Jesus was born to Mary mm-hmm. and Joseph. Uh, most likely scholars think that's who Jude was. Jude says, after his little introduction, and I'm going to give you my terms, mm-hmm. I wanted to write to you about our common salvation. 
I wanted to write about being saved. But but that's what he says. But you guys have a bunch of people in your church that are troublemakers, that are heretics, false teachers, so I can't write. I got to deal with them. And the rest of his little bitty book, which is one chapter that lasts 25 verses, uh-huh. that's what he does the rest of the verse. So you, you can figure it out right. He tells Here's you. the purpose. He tells you, yeah. I, I wanted to write for this, but I can't. I'm writing about And yeah. then the rest of the book, if you look— you can you can find out and and the writers it's there. Yeah, I would even at the beginning of Mark, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What's Mark trying to tell you through this whole book? He's God. <laughs> He's yeah. not just a guy. You can you can pick on pick up on little things there that say, hey, here's the purpose. And then finally, we want to get to application. Um, and here's just a few questions that you can ask: Is there a promise to cling to? Is there a sin to expose? Is there a command to heed? Is there an action to take, an example to follow, a prayer to repeat, a challenge to face, a characteristic of God to admire, or a purpose in life to adopt? Just a few questions that once you've checked out of all of this, you can go, hey, how does this relate to me? What do I do with this? How does this document um, communicate to me? And this is where the rubber meets the road. For those of you who are listening, listen, this is this is. This is it. So we've just talked about the importance of the Bible, the importance of reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. We're giving you some direction to read the Bible. You go, okay, and you read your Bible today. And you come, whatever you're reading, you read something that hits you smack in the face. It 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 deals directly with something in your life. And let's just get real frank. It's either something you're doing that you need to stop doing, or it reveals something in your life that you're not doing that you need to start doing. Okay, that's the point when you need to push back the chair and look at it and say, Dear God, I'm not doing what you've t- It's obvious mm-hmm. to me. I'm not doing Please help me. I'm going to start doing this. Or, yeah. God, I've been saying this thing. I've been doing this thing. I haven't forgiven this person. I've had unforgiveness in my heart. I've been bitter. Um, man, I'm not supposed to be this way. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And I release that and help me. I am not going to be like that. I'm going to forgive people from now on when they hurt me. See mm-hmm. what I'm saying? You gotta, you gotta make it happen. Yeah. That's the whole. Otherwise, you're just, you're just getting an education, a yeah. biblical education. It, it is life. That's it goes all the way back around. Jesus said, it "Is li- it is your life? It's not just the source of life, living. It's your life. Yes. Yeah. And, and it and it becomes what the guide for your life. And you say, I gotta, I gotta match up my life to match." what God's word says. I want to please him. When the day is done, I want to lay my head down and say, God, did I please you today? Mm -hmm. That's all that matters. Exactly. Well, look, this has been a great episode. We hope that some of these tips have helped you. And I just want to encourage you when you get done, um, listening to this episode, wherever you're at, take some time to read your Bible today. Uh, Maybe you want to uh, use some of these tips um, that we've given you to maybe pick out a passage in whatever book you're reading in right now and um, and and go after it and see what God is speaking to you. Um, no matter what, no matter where you're at, if you're a brand new Christian or if you've been serving God for 30 years, the Bible is still important. It's still life. It's still truth. We just want to encourage you to get in the Word today.